Civic Survey results with ABA President Judy Perry-Martinez. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, Judy. Happy Law Day. Well, happy Law Day to you, too, Lawrence. So, of course, for the benefit of our audience, we're recording this on May 1st, Law Day. And to celebrate with a special treat, we have the American Bar Association President, Judy Perry-Martinez, joining us. And she's going to walk us through the ABA 2020 Survey of Civic Literacy. Now, that it's going to be way more fun than that sounds. And so <laughs> let, me, uh, let me open up with the first obvious question, Judy. Just what is Law Day and why do we celebrate it? Well, Law Day is held every May 1 to celebrate the rule of law and to cultivate a deeper understanding of how the law and the legal system protects our liberties. ABA President Charles Rhine came up with the idea in 1957 as a counter to the May Day military parades that the Soviet Union was holding. And it was created in 1958 by President Eisenhower. And Rhine and Eisenhower recognized that the United States' strength emanates from the law not military might. And that's the origins of our, of Law Day. Oh, wow. I actually did not know that. I've, I think I've asked that question several times. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, well, let's get to the survey. So this is the ABA 2020 Survey of Civic Literacy. So just a couple of uh, primer setup questions here to kind of help guide us through our discussion. So about this survey, how and why was it created? Well, it's important that every American knows the basic principles that underlie our government and our democracy. And we started the survey last year to measure how familiar people are with basic constitutional and legal principles, especially those that deal with the rule of law. And each year, we also ask several questions to measure public opinion on some important issues of the day. And this is the second annual civic literacy survey. Okay, just a quick follow-up on that. So uh, how are these particular questions picked? And then what do we know about the, the participants in the survey? Well, Lawrence, most of the knowledge questions were actually pulled from the U.S. naturalization test, which immigrants take when they're applying for citizenship to the United States. And opinion questions are based on the theme of each law day for the year. And this year's theme, I believe you know, is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment your vote, your voice, our democracy, which 19th Amendment, of course, guaranteed women the right to vote. So we chose questions about voting rights, women's rights in the 19th Amendment. And later in a second survey that we did this year, we added questions about the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on our country. All right. Well, I think there was 16 or so questions and there were maybe more, but uh, we only have time for a few. So I picked a few fun ones for you. Is that okay? That's fine. All right. So my first one here. So we're going to do so. We're going to ask some questions. There'll be a little question answer and Judy's going to guide us through. There might be some commentary and some follow up. So the first one, which I thought was so apropos uh, for today. So who has the authority to issue statewide quarantines and or stay at home orders? And so here are the options and Judy's going to guide us through. So option number one, the president two, the governor's three, vice president, four, the director of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, or the last choice here, Congress. And so, Judy, of course, the answer is? The answer is governors. And 71% of people who answered the survey knew that that was the correct answer. So that's interesting in and of itself, isn't it? So this is one of the questions, what we call the pandemic questions, that we added in April as the COVID-19 virus was becoming widespread. We first surveyed in March, 
And then we came back in April and added COVID questions. And I was surprised, too, because I read the uh, percentage of who got these right versus wrong. And this is one I actually was a little more surprised. 71 percent got it right as opposed to uh, less. And so uh, the president, of course, was the second uh, most populous answer, 18 percent. But I think this is a partial answer to this question. So I agreed the governors uh, have statewide quarantine authority. But I think it's also fair to say that the president has some federal authority to put people into quarantines that live in different states. So I got this from the CDC article, and I'll put this in the show notes. But according to the CDC, federal isolation and quarantine are authorized for these communicable diseases. So you got cholera, infectious tuberculosis, smallpox, plague, and then they have flu that can cause pandemic and severe acute respiratory syndromes. There's a couple more on the list, but uh, right below there it says federal isolation and quarantine are authorized by executive order of the president. The president can revise this list by executive order. So I think that is true on the statewide level, but it's also true to say the president can isolate certain populations of people in different states. Would you agree or disagree? So under the Constitution, it is believed that the federal government has broad authority to quarantine and impose other health measures to prevent the spread of diseases, like you say, from foreign countries as well as between states. So it's a fascinating you know, dichotomy of, of powers and authority, but the ones that are being relied upon significantly at this time of the pandemic is those power the power of the governors to really affect quarantines within their states. All right. Excellent. Excellent. See, very educational there. Here's the next one. I thought this was a fun one. So I asked this for family reasons. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> Judy Perry Martinez, of course, every lawyer is going to know the answer to this question, but who is the chief justice of the Supreme Court? An obvious answer is Chief Justice John Roberts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg did get the second most or actually third oh. most guest results. So she got 11 percent. Uh, John Roberts got 61 percent undecided, which is never the answer in the survey, got 14 percent. And so I brought that up because I'm surprised non-lawyers didn't answer Ruth Bader Ginsburg more. Uh, she's got a you know cult of personality. Just and this is the family part. Anecdotally, a poll within my family, uh, they know exactly how many push-ups Ruth Bader Ginsburg does on a daily <laughs> basis, but they couldn't name all of the Supreme Court justices. So I, I could not resist bringing that one up. You know, it's interesting because I'm not sure that answer would be different no matter who the chief justice, you know, at the time is. Because I think that's that awareness of knowledge of understanding the criticality and the role of the three branches of government, including the judicial branch and our Supreme Court. So what we need to do is make sure that as lawyers, as judges, and as people who care about our democracy, that we are creating and starting and fueling conversations that bring people to points of information like the one that we just talked about, with all the current members of the, the Supreme Court as well, and making sure that people know the important role they play in our democracy. All right. So my next question, I know this one is near and dear to your heart. And so we'll just get the straight answer from you. So what is meant by the rule of law? That one is critically important to the role that we each play as, as, as individuals in our country. And that answer is that no one is above the law. And that is such an important doctrine that no matter your station in life, no matter your economic status, your, your color, ethnicity, your race, your gender, no matter what you do in life in terms of your job every day, no matter where you live, no one is above the law. And that includes people in government service. It includes individuals in civil society. And most importantly, it tells us the importance of how we relate to each other, understanding that we're all need to obey laws and that no one 
will be above the law and that importantly, the laws will be applied fairly and equitably. So I'm going to move down the list here. So this is a fun one that I thought, and I'm surprised that uh, more people didn't get this right, given that this is on TV a lot, especially if you like watching political shows. So here's here's the question. So if both the president and the vice president can no longer serve as president, who is next in line to become president? Let me read the options. So obviously this is not for the lawyers. Every lawyer knows the answer to this. So the first option, Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. The second one, President pro tempore of the U.S. Senate. Judy, did I say that right? Is it uh, tempore or tempore? President pro tem. Oh, okay. Sorry. I was thinking uh, sushi, I think, when I said president <laughs> So sorry about that. Uh, the third option is U.S. Secretary of State, fourth Chief Justice of the United States. And of course, this answer, which is never the answer, undecided. So Judy, of course, the answer is? Speaker of the House. Yeah, totally agree. So 65% got that right. The second answer, which I think is really interesting, was the United States Secretary of State at 21%. So that was one that caught my eye from this survey. So uh, I think either people need to read more or watch more TV. <laughs> no, but you know what it also points to is the role that, again, we can play as members of the legal profession, whether you are on a legal services team, a paralegal, a lawyer, a judge, a clerk in a courthouse, helping people understand these important roles that individuals play in, in, in our democracy. All right. So my last question here, Judy, we are getting close to another election cycle. And so this one is definitely going to come up for people. So in the United States presidential election, the Electoral College ultimately selects the president. How are votes in the Electoral College allocated among the 50 states and the District of Columbia? Asking for a friend, Judy, what's the answer? Ah, total number of state senators and representatives. Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I was not surprised that this one was uh, one that didn't get a lot of correct answers. And so this was 46% was the correct answer. That's how many people answered this correctly. And the next one was the number of registered voters in each state, 33%. And then I think undecided got another 8%. So <laughs> that uh, just keeps coming up. But uh, Judy, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun today going through this. And of course, we'll put uh, links to this uh, survey so people can see this for themselves and learn a little bit more. But uh, just in terms of uh, folks want I ask you some follow-up questions. How can they find you? The best way to reach me is at abapresident at americanbar.org. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please give us a shout on Twitter at LegalTalkNet. And also we'll cite and make available those resources that we use for this episode on our website, LegalTalkNetwork.com. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com because lawyers, they like to talk. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Stay strong, everybody. (laughs) Bye.